The Yukon Huskies ran through the NCAA tournament to win yet another championship. What can Mark Few and the Zags learn from this team as they look to get back into it next season? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. We're going to talk about two mid-major transfers the Zags could pursue in the portal, a pair of guards who would be tremendous additions to the program if they were to come to Spokane. We're going to do that in the second and the third segments, but we're going to open the show talking about the national championship. The Yukon Huskies brought it home. They didn't even really play any close games, quite honestly, throughout this NCAA tournament. The 13-point victory over San Diego State in the championship was their closest margin of victory in the tournament. They're the only team in the modern era to win every single game in the tournament by 13 or more points. One of, I believe, five teams to win every game by double digits. The other ones were Michigan State in 2000, Duke in 2001. I believe it was North Carolina in 2009. I think Villanova in 2018. That might have been it. They might have been the fifth team to join that group. Just a tremendous performance from Dan Hurley's squad. Obviously, Gonzaga got caught up in the midst of what UConn did with their uh, – Embarrassing, with for lack of a better word, loss to UConn in that Elite Eight game by uh, 28 points. Uh, and so what I want to do here in the first segment before we talk about those transfer additions that that may be appealing to Gonzaga uh, is kind of just talk about what we saw from UConn, what we saw from San Diego State on the other end, another mid-major program that has made it to a national championship game and kind of what areas that might kind of prompt the Zags to to maybe pursue some additions or some upgrades. And, and none of it's going to be revolutionary. Some of the stuff is, is things that we've kind of known about the NCAA tournament for a long time, like guard play is critical. Experienced guard play is monumentally important. And both these teams d- demonstrated that to a T. San Diego State basically was a roster full of four or five-year guys. They were the 21st most experienced team in all of college basketball. Lamont Butler is a three- or four-year guy, I believe. Matt Bradley was in his fifth year. Darion Trammell was a JUCO guy who also spent two years at Seattle U. So he's a very experienced guy. Micah Parrish is an experienced guy. Like th- This whole team was four- or five-year guys at San Diego State. UConn has a lot of experience as well. Jordan Hawkins, a guy who's been around a bit. Tristan Newton was a transfer from Eastern Kentucky, uh, a big addition for them in the, in the backcourt. Joey Calcaterra, of course, a a longtime nemesis of the Zags at University of San Diego. So experienced guard play is is so impactful. The Zags did have that last year. They didn't have a ton of it. They were a younger guard group than they've been in the past with Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas both playing significant roles as sophomores who didn't start as freshmen. But Rasir Bolton was one of the most experienced players in all of college basketball. Malachi Smith is a guy who had been around for a really long time. So that they weren't really lacking there. But the guards, the, the a key difference between UConn and Gonzaga, two teams that kind of looked similar on paper as programs that are dominated by their post players and have more inconsistent guard play. The difference in what happened uh, throughout this tournament was that UConn's guards played their best in the NCAA tournament and Gonzaga's guards did not. There is not a whole lot more to the story than that. Jordan Hawkins and Tristan Newton combined for 35 points in that national championship. They shot over 50% from the field. I think they shot over 50% or around 50% from three. They did not miss a free throw combined in that championship game. Those two guys were excellent in this contest. 
UConn also has kind of a glue guy in the backcourt. And Gonzaga's glue guy last year, of course, was, was Anton Watson. And he's massively impactful as that kind of glue guy type role. But for, for UConn, the player they had in that role was Andre Jackson. And Andre Jackson's a guy who his box score numbers are never really going to pop out at you. But if you watch this championship game, he made a lot of winning plays. His ability to make good decisions in transition, get guys open shots, that play where Calcaterra got the ball, passed it out to Andre Jackson. He led the fast break, threw it back between his legs behind him to Joey Calcaterra for a wide open transition three. It was beautiful basketball, genuinely beautiful basketball. And that kind of Guards who can make those kind of plays, those kind of decisions in transition, find open shooters, that kind of stuff is is critical. And UConn had that. Gonzaga kind of had that. But when you look at the, the two teams for Gonzaga that have made it to the national championship, and I've said this on this podcast a lot, but it is it bears repeating, they were two point guard lineups. 2021, it was Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nembhard. Those two guys both started. They had Joel Iyayi starting. So Joel's not a point guard, but they had three guards definitively in that starting lineup that 2017 team most people remember the front court they remember Karnowski they remember Jonathan Williams Killian Tilly Zach Collins coming off the bench but that team started Nigel Williams Goss and Josh Perkins and Jordan Matthews for that matter two point guards and kind of a shooting guard were the three starters on that roster that seems to be a recipe for success for Gonzaga and when you look at other teams San Diego State kind of had a three-guard lineup. UConn had a three-guard lineup with Newton, with Jackson, and with Jordan Hawkins. That seems to be a, a recipe for success. Now, other key recipes, especially ones that were lacking for Gonzaga last year, rim protection. Rim protection is vital. San Diego State, folks, for those of you who missed this game, they did not make a lay-in, a single lay-in, until the under-16 mark in the second half. In the second half. They did not make a lay-in in the first half. They did not make a lay-in for the first five or so minutes in, into the second half. Part of that was them struggling to, they were just miss some bunnies. That happens uh, in, in any college basketball game. It certainly happens in a championship game against a high-level team, but some of it was rim protection. Donovan Klingon, backup center for UConn, he kind of has some Zach Collins vibes to him, a backup center who, who didn't start throughout the year, didn't play huge minutes, but got a lot of momentum to be a potential one-and-done NBA draft candidate after a successful run through the NCAA tournament. That is the Zach Collins story to a T, and you can see it developing with Donovan Klingon. I think he's probably going to come back, but hey, a whole lot of people thought that about Zach Collins too, and he ended up going 10th overall in that draft. So rim protection is, is huge. It's critical. It's what cost Gonzaga a championship in 2021. Uh, they had it in that 2017 team, and that was part of the reason they had that successful run. They did not have it this past year, and UConn exploited that in a significant way by getting down, getting downhill and getting to the rim and finding ways to score and using Adama Sonogo in a significant way. So rim protection for the Zags, they don't have it right now. Can Efton Reed evolve into a rim protector? Absolutely. Can he do it this summer? We will see. That's a big question the Zags have to figure out. Caden Perry, a guy kind of touted coming out of high school as a potential rim protector at the next level. He's been hurt for two years. Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be able to contribute in that level? I don't know. We don't know that yet. For Gonzaga, that leaves them with questions on the transfer portal. Do they go get somebody who can protect the rim? Kalel Ware is an awesome option available right now. Is he going to come to Gonzaga? I have no idea. My guess is probably not. But there are other players they could find who could fill a rim protection type role for this team next year because they're going to need it at that level for sure. Having three-point shooting off the bench is another big one. The Zags had this last year with Malachi Smith and Ben Gregg. To, I mean, not, I was going to say to an extent, he's just not a guard, but he was a three-point shooter coming off the bench. The Zags, you need more of that. And I think you like 
both these teams had that. Joey Calcaterra, we mentioned him. Joey California, as Dan Hurley likes to call him, uh, was like 45% three-point shooter for them off the bench. Adam Seiko for San Diego State, 46% three-point shooter for them coming off the bench. There, that is a recipe for success, to have a guy who can you can bring into the game, immediately stretches the defense, immediately does things that really help your team succeed because of their ability on offense. For the Zags, if Malachi Smith either leaves or steps into a starting role, they'll need to find somebody to fill that role. Dusty Stromer could be that guy, 100%. Alex Tui could be that guy, not really a guard. He's more of a 3-4 hybrid, but he could be that guy potentially. Also, you can find bench three-point shooting in the transfer portal. That's an, There's an option for the Zags to potentially identify that and, and find it. Dominic Harris would have been this guy. I think he could have filled this role had he chose to stay at Gonzaga. Again, I understand why he chose to leave, but something somebody like that, somebody who can play point guard or play kind of one or two and, and be a three-point shooter would be a valuable addition for the Zags. And then team defense. Just team defense in general needs to be better. Gonzaga's defense needs to be better. No team has ever won the national championship with a defensive rating at Ken Palm lower than 22nd. Gonzaga went into the tournament like in the 80s or 90s. You just need to be better. So for them, looking at the roster for next season, how can they construct it to add better pieces defensively? And then what can they do from a coaching perspective to make the defense better? Drew Timmy was not nearly as bad of a defender as I think he was made out to be, but there is an advantage that is a small silver lining of him not being in the program anymore is that you can maybe have a better defensive front court because if let's say Anton Watson returns, Ben Gregg is, he's still got some work to do overall as a, as a on ball defensive player, but he's a tenacious rebounder. He's a good help defender. He's working on that stuff. I think the Zags Efton Reed, I think is a very capable defender. So I think they're in better spot there depending on who they add in the front court, if they make additions there, but the overall team defense is just, it's just going to have to be better in order for them to, to be a legitimate contender for a national champion. Well, I don't want to tease. I don't want to hide the names here anymore. So the first name we're going to talk about here is Taryn Armstrong and look, Taryn Armstrong from Cal Baptist. He may not be a defensive stopper. He may not fit that role, for the Zags, but he would instantly give Gonzaga an elite passing point guard, which they desperately need. More on him after a word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. The Built Bar March Madness bracket is here, folks, and we know that you have a favorite bar or puff, and now is your time to make it count. So go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know I'm going to be voting for the Churro Bar, and if you want your favorite team to win, then you'll be voting for that bar too. Support your team, support your bar or puff, and when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you will be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You've got to try Built. It is the best protein bar ever. Seriously, they are so amazing and you will not think that they are healthy for you. What makes Built Bars and Puffs so good? Well, for starters, they are high in protein, they are low in sugar, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. So run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and we're, we're talking transfers. We're going to continue to do this throughout the offseason as we kind of look at what Gonzaga's roster could look like as we still have so many players entering the portal on a daily basis, players committing other places, what it all means for the Zags. So we're try to keep you as updated as possible on potential targets for Gonzaga in the portal. Also, if you have names, players, suggestions, let me know. I have a running list 
of players who Gonzaga has been connected to, players who I think Gonzaga should pursue, whether or not they have been connected to them yet. So if you have names, please send them my way. I'll either let you know if they're already on the list or I will add them so we can discuss them going forward today. Very popular player that has been discussed a handful of times for Gonzaga and for just about everybody in the portal because he is a hot topic name. That is Taryn Armstrong from Cal Baptist. Uh, considered by many to be the top point guard in the portal. And this is a group that includes Kirk Creesa from Arizona. This is a group that includes Caleb Love from North Carolina, Severe Wheeler from Kentucky, Max Asmus from Oral Roberts. There's a handful of others. We will talk about most, if not all, of those players at some point, depending on when they commit to their new schools. Uh, we're going to talk about another great guard in the third and final segment from a mid-major program. But I want to focus on Armstrong because I think he's the best pure point guard in the portal. He's not the best scorer. He's not the best defensive guard. That would be Severe Wheeler. Scores probably Caleb, probably Ace Miss or Caleb Love. But Taron Armstrong, from a distribu- distribution standpoint, from a passing pass-first point guard standpoint, he might be the best one. Armstrong kind of rose to prominence. He's an Australian point guard. He went to Cal Baptist, very little fanfare when he first committed to join the Lancers. Not surprising there. But uh, at Cal Baptist, his freshman year, 21-22, he was one of the most surprising freshmen in the country. He played 26 games, played 32 minutes per night, averaged 10 and a half points, but 6.3 assists. That is huge. That's tremendous production as a distributor uh, at any level of college, specifically or at any level period, but at, at the college level in 40 minute games, that is extraordinary. He also averaged 5.2 rebounds, 10, 6, and 5. That is tremendous. He was not a very efficient score, and that's something that that is a bit of a knock on him in general. Uh, in, ha- in that first season, he was 43% on twos and only 30.8% on threes and less than 65% from the free throw line. We saw him get some really, really big hype heading into his second year. Is he going to be a two-and-done guy? Like all that conversation. And he didn't really meet the expectations that people had for him in his second season, but it's not because he was bad. He just didn't really – he didn't – improved dramatically from his freshman season in year two at Cal Baptist Armstrong averaged 11.3 points he averaged five assists so a slight dip in the assists a slight bump in the points four and a half rebounds so basically the same there he did improve significantly as a scorer around the rim his two-point percentage went from 43.4 as a freshman to 51.8 as a sophomore so very much improved at getting to the basket at the mid-range game all that elevated as well. His three-point percentage remained basically unchanged, 30.8 as a freshman, 30.5 as a sophomore. His free throw percentage also stayed about the same, 65.5%. Uh, so there's some some concerning stuff from a three-point shooting and kind of just outside shooting perspective. Uh, some high-level games for Armstrong. I think it's always important when we're looking at mid-major players uh, to kind of evaluate how they performed against good teams when they do get the opportunity to play them. Armstrong had 24 points on five of nine shooting from deep against Minnesota in a non-conference game. He had 18.6 assists and five rebounds in a road win over UW. That's tremendous to go on the road at Husky Stadium or at Alaska Airlines Arena, I suppose. Probably didn't play on the football field. Uh, And for him to go get 18, six and five on five of eight shooting uh, is a really nice testament to him. And this won't surprise anybody. UW heavily pursuing Darren Armstrong in the transfer portal. They saw what he did to them. At their home arena, they have lost some guards already in the portal. Keon Metafield has has entered the portal for UW. They need some guard play. They are allegedly the favorite right now. I've seen some rumors saying that Armstrong is leaning towards the University of Washington. I, I'll believe it when I see it, not because I doubt UW can land big-name players. They absolutely can. I just 
there's so many rumors circulating right now all the time that it just it's hard to take any of them super seriously unless we're hearing it directly from players or coaches or very very well connected media personalities. UW is on the list of schools interested in Armstrong, but it is a long, long list. I will go through it right now quickly. Arizona, Arkansas, Memphis, Nebraska, Washington State, Stanford, West Virginia, Vanderbilt, Charleston, Penn State, Utah, Cal, Santa Barbara, Rutgers, Dayton, Xavier, Minnesota. That's just the list that we have right now. There are probably tons of other programs who have showed interest, who have interest, who have reached out since this tweet was posted by Joe Tipton uh, at Tipton Edits on Twitter. Uh, there are schools that probably just didn't get lumped, lumped in here. Tons and tons of schools. And for good reason. Everybody should be interested in Taron Armstrong. If you have a need at point guard, you should be looking at Taron Armstrong. Arizona is the school that has been outside of UW has gotten probably the most press for Taron Armstrong because he was rumored to go there even before Kirk Creesa entered the transfer portal. Once Kirk Creesa made that decision to enter the portal, it felt like Tommy was going to strike, add Taron Armstrong, bring him in, replace Creesa that way and kind of move forward. If there is a team that desperately needs guard play more than Gonzaga via the transfer portal, it's Arizona. They really need it. They, and Xavier's on that list as well, which is why they're connected here, which is why they're connected to Kirk Creesa because they're losing Sule Boom. But Arizona's guard play was bad last year and it cost them. The same can be said for Gonzaga, but Gonzaga lost in the Elite Eight. Arizona lost to Princeton in the first round because their guards could not shoot. Taron Armstrong, not a great shooter, but he would at least give them a high-level facilitator, an offensive weapon, uh, a pass-first point guard. Really makes sense for Gonzaga in all of those ways as well. Uh, Creasa was, or excuse, not Creasa, Armstrong was also recruited by Rutgers, so there's a connection there. He's from Australia, which kind of makes it a little harder to project from a uh, like location perspective. A lot of times you can kind of connect guys to, to move closer to their hometown. Not really an option here. Of course, Gonzaga has an Australian player joining the roster next year. And Alex Tui. don't know that that means all that much. I have no idea if these two guys know each other are familiar with each other or not. Uh, St. Mary's is not in the, in the mix here. Uh, if they were, that would be something to kind of maybe raise your eye at a little bit just from that perspective. But why would St. Mary's be interested in Taron Armstrong when they have Aiden Mahaney? Very good point. Very good point. This would be a true point guard addition for the Zags. And what it would mean is that Nolan Hickman would either move to the bench or he would move to a combo guard role. I mentioned this as a possibility for Nolan Hickman if Hunter Salas was going to stay and if Hunter Salas was going to step into the starting point guard role next year. I think it could have made some sense for Hickman to play more of a off-ball role because he's not much of a facilitator. He's fine at it. He doesn't turn the ball over all that much, but he doesn't, he doesn't really generate a lot of assists either. This is kind of my my current gripe with Hickman, I think, is less that he's actively does bad things because he doesn't. He just doesn't make a lot of things happen either. Taron Armstrong would change that. Armstrong also averages significantly more turnovers than Nolan Hickman, but he averages way more assists. He would make things happen. And I think seeing Hickman in more of a combo guard role where he's maybe more of a catch and shoot guy, which is something he does excel at. He's more of a put your head down and go to the basket type player and less of a, I have to facilitate. I have to run the pick and roll. I have to do that because he's, he's okay at that, but Armstrong is, is better. So that would add something for, for the Zags. Armstrong wouldn't add the outside shooting. We don't think, but it is worth pointing out. And I've mentioned this so many times on this podcast the Zags have a tendency to bring players in who are less efficient, specifically at mid-major programs, and their efficiency ticks up in a significant way because they are no longer the primary focal point of opposing defenses. I call it the Ryan Woolridge effect. 
Ryan Woolard shot between 30 and 33% for three or four years at North Texas before he transferred to Gonzaga, became a 45% three-point shooter because he was no longer the focal point of opposing defenses. Rasir Bolton did the same thing. He obviously did not come from a mid-major, but he was not a good three-point shooter at Iowa State and Penn State. Came to Gonzaga, shot 46% in his first year. Struggled a little bit more last year, uh, but still the kind of thing that we have seen players come to Gonzaga and do before. If Taron Armstrong showed up at Gonzaga and became a 38% three-point shooter while also distributing the ball well, who mama, that would be incredible. Not only would the Zags get significantly better, Taron Armstrong would turn himself into an NBA player. I almost guarantee you that he would get significant looks if he went from a 30% three-point shooter to a 38 39% three-point shooter. That's going to change the trajectory of his career in a significant, significant way. Beyond that, Cal Baptist was 322nd in tempo last year in the country. 322nd. Gonzaga was 39th, and that's very, very low for them. They are usually somewhere between 30 and 35 points of spots higher than that. Sometimes they are 38 spots higher than that. They are first or second in the country in pace. That is not uncommon for the Zags. I expect them to be a much higher tempo, fast-paced team next year because they are not going to have Drew Timmy on the roster. I think that they are going to run much more. They're going to get out and transition much more, and I think that's the appeal to Taron Armstrong. That's the pitch. If you're Mark Few and the coaching staff, you go to Taron Armstrong and you say, we want you to be our point guard. We want you to lead a fast-paced, high-octane offense. We want you to average seven assists per game. He's probably not going to get there, but this is what you're pitching to him. Come out here, average 12 points, five, six, seven assists per game. Bump your three-point shooting up to 36 37%, and go be an NBA player. Gonzaga can offer that. They can pitch that. So can Arizona, and that's going to be a difficult part of this. I'm not sure the appeal at UW. They're not a very fast-paced offense, but maybe there is some appeal there for Armstrong. Maybe he just wants to be in Seattle, wants to play at that program. Who knows? But Gonzaga and Arizona in particular can really offer a kind of role that I think would would really excel with Armstrong's skill set, and I would love if the Zags could land him. It would really change how we're feeling about this offseason if Taron Armstrong were to come to Spokane. All right, I want to close out the show with another player the Zags could be interested in via the transfer portal. That is Eastern Washington wing Steel Venters. He is a six foot seven forward wing. He can light it up from deep. The Zags have already showed some interest. Why wouldn't they? We're going to talk more about him right after this. Right, segment three, Stony Patton still locked on Zags, and we're talking about another mid-major guard the Zags could pursue or are already interested in pursuing via the NCAA transfer portal. That is Steel Venters from Eastern Washington. The Zags are one of the schools who have already reached out to Venters. Venters again, six foot seven combo guard. He is from Ellensburg, Washington. That's not that far from Spokane, folks. It's pretty close. Of course, he played at Eastern Washington, which is even closer to Spokane. There's some good and bad there. He wants a change of scenery is 30 miles up the road from Cheney to Spokane, a big enough change of scenery for him. That is a question that will have to be asked. Uh, in terms of Venter's career, kind of how he got to this point, he redshirted at Eastern during that 1920 season. Uh, he only averaged 3.6 points in 17 games during the 2020-21 season. And then things finally took off. Venters in his third year at Eastern 2021-2022 season, he played 33 games. He played 33 minutes per game. He averaged 16.7 points four rebounds, 2.2 assists, and one steal per game. He did that while shooting just under 48% from two, but 43.5% from three. 43.5% from deep. 
Last year, dipped a tiny bit from a production standpoint in this most recent season at Eastern. 34 starts, still played 32 minutes per game, 15.3 points, so still a 15-plus point-per-game score, about three rebounds, about one-and-a-half assists, and just under a steal per game. His two-point field goal percentage increased dramatically. He went from 47.6% as a sophomore to 54.9% as a junior, so nearly a 55% shooter on anything inside the three-point line. His three-point percentage dropped from 43 as a sophomore, but it was still 37% as a junior. Excellent, excellent outside shooter here in Steel Venters, a guy who's who's shown the ability to score in multiple different ways outside of just that three-point shooting. Again, looking at some of the best games that Eastern Washington played last year, they played Texas Tech. A team that did not make the NCAA tournament was a very, very solid defensive squad all year. Venters had 26 points against them on 5 of 11 shooting from deep. Venters also played Washington State twice. They played them in the regular season. They also played them in the NIT. He averaged 23 and a half points in those two games against Wazoo. He had 20 in the first one, 27 in that NIT matchup on 9 of 17 shooting from deep in those two games combined. So Venters sure doesn't look like somebody who is afraid to play up against that high-level competition. In terms of interested schools, it's worth pointing out that Venters did also declare for the NBA draft. He has, of course, retained his collegiate eligibility, or else he would not be in the transfer portal. But it is worth pointing out that he is at least exploring that process right now. The main thing that means is that it's possible it takes him a while to commit because he might check out that NBA draft process. Here's the list of schools that are interested in Gonzaga, or interested in Gonzaga, interested in Venters. Gonzaga, of course, on that list, as well as Deep Breath. Missouri, Butler, Creighton, San Francisco, Colorado, UW, UNLV, Santa Clara, Pepperdine, lots of WCC schools so far, Colorado State, LMU, what do you know, another one, Oregon, Florida, Washington State, they saw what he did to them, they, they, want, a, they want a piece, I get that, uh, USC, Stanford, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. So it's not a ton of super elite programs. Obviously, you have some Power 5 programs in there in Oregon, in Creighton, and Butler, Mizzou. Uh, you also have a lot of WCC schools like San Francisco, like Santa Clara, Pepperdine, LMU, all involved there as well. So this could be good for the Zags, not seeing a bunch of the Arkansas, the Alabamas, the Miamis, the programs that tend to be able to persuade players using financial means, uh, something that Gonzaga has. Don't get me wrong. They have NIL money to throw around. They can pay some of these players, but they're, they're not competing at the top level with some of those guys. And most of these programs here aren't necessarily throwing around huge chunks of money either. I think that that's an advantage for the Zags. Of course, every player is motivated by different things. Some players are not motivated by the NIL very much at all. And so it's kind of hard to say with Venters. The only thing we really know is that he's motivated for a change of scenery, which doesn't mean a whole lot uh, in terms of evaluating where he might go. Does he want to stay close to home? If so, UW, Washington State, Gonzaga, all on this list. Definitely something to keep an eye on for Venters. In terms of what his role would look like at Gonzaga, he would obviously be an immediate replacement for Rasir Bolton and likely more of a replacement for Julian Strother just because we're expecting Strother to leave. Uh, again, Venters is six foot seven. I think he would kind of fill that that three role, that wing role, outside shooter. Uh, again, 43% shooter as a sophomore, 37% last year. A guy who shot, he's a career 40.3% shooter from deep on an average of five attempts per game. So this is a dude who lights it up from deep. The question, and I think it's worth pointing out that that Eastern has shown players who can develop and succeed at the next level. The Groves brothers went to Oklahoma. They had a lot of success uh, with the Sooners. 
we've seen Eastern develop players who have succeeded not only at the next level collegiately, but also overseas and professionally in the NBA as well. Shout out Rodney Stuckey uh, from Eastern there. So I don't think there's a huge concern about the level of play being an impact for him, but I do wonder if he has enough skills outside of the three-point shooting. The numbers don't bear him out as being an excellent defensive player. I'm not going to lie to you and pretend I've watched a bunch of tape of Steel Venters playing defense because I haven't. I have not done that. If he commits to Gonzaga, we'll do that. We'll do that together. We'll watch some tape. We'll get a sense of what he is on what he's like on that end of the floor. But the numbers don't indicate that he's a great defensive player. He doesn't rebound all that well. He doesn't pass all that well. He's a career 1.6 assists and 1.6 turnovers. So I think that's kind of the question. Is he just an empty outside shooter? That's not necessarily a horrendous thing. It just means that he's maybe not going to come in and play 32 minutes a night replacing Julian Strother. He might be more of a, you know, more play more of the Joey Calcaterra role at the at UConn or Adam Seiko at San Diego State, guys we talked about in that first segment. Is Venters going to want to go to a school where he's a three-point shooter off the bench? Probably not, after averaging 15 points per game in each of the last two seasons. So that's kind of the question for Venters right now. Does he come to Gonzaga to play a significant role? Is he too similar to Dusty Stromer, who we expect to be kind of a, a wing player, uh, although he's a bit more of a ball handler, a bit more of a guy who I think can can have the ball in his hands. Venters, I'm not sure that he fills that role. So there's some some questions, as there always is, with with what Venters could be. But at the end of the day, Six foot seven, 40% three point shooter. It's hard not to like the appeal of what he would bring to Spokane, even if there are questions about the other aspects of his game that we haven't really seen fleshed out in a significant way. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out Locked On College Basketball. We're not going anywhere, folks. Even after the season, we're going to do our way too early top 25 predictions coming up. We're also going to talk about the national championship, more transfer portal updates, all of that good stuff. Stick here on Lockdown Zags as well. We're going to continue our season in review series. We're going to talk about Ben Gregg on Wednesday's episode of Lockdown Zags. We're, of course, going to keep you updated on transfer portal rumors as well. All right, folks. Thanks again for listening, and go Zags.